Well, if you have responsibility for running a team, whether it's your own business or a, a part of a much bigger company, one of the key theories or thoughts that people go after is the notion of finding alignment. Alignment can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So today we're going to dig in and talk about alignment. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and we are talking about alignment. If you're in any kind of a leadership role, whether you own the company or you're working for someone in a bigger enterprise, Alignment is really a critical factor in determining your success, and alignment means a lot of different things, so I thought it would be a great idea to have someone join me, and we're going to talk about what alignment might really mean, and more importantly, how to you as a leader make it happen. My guest today is Ken Roseboom. He is a uh, neighbor, uh, so to speak, at least uh, in the global geographic sense. He lives in the Houston area, as do I. And uh, Ken has agreed to join us. Welcome, Ken. Welcome. Thank you for having me here, Doug. Yeah, Ken and I actually share a wonderful experience. We're part of a very informal but very uh, dedicated consortium of coaches in the Houston area. We meet once a month, we have our own mastermind, and we talk about hot topics and best practices, and we exchange a lot of ideas. And I don't know about you, Ken, but boy, I find those meetings to be a wealth of, of value. I schedule around them, not not over them. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, Ken, let's start out before we lean into the meat of this subject. Let's uh, talk about your background. Tell us about your journey on how you got to where you are and what has inspired you to do the work you're doing. Thank you, Doug. Really appreciate that. I'm an engineer and, you know, hired on with a big oil company, you know, 40 years ago now or 40 some odd and uh, engineering management, engineering in-field construction, heavy construction, major capital projects. And it was all about, you know, bringing teams together to create something, you know, even, even decide what the concept is and then go all the way until it was a producing asset. And uh, along the way, I came in contact with a lot of coaches. You know, we had team development coaches and, and, and engineers had to be, quite frankly, had to be taught that if you really want to achieve visions you have to motivate with emotion you have to show care and concern and that that opened up that, that was a part of my overall personnel develop personal development and uh it was exciting to me and you know the end result was we created heavy construction projects that uh were we worked millions of work hours they used to be called man hours now they're work hours and it, millions of hours without anybody getting hurt and being incident and injury free. And that, that really inspired me to what's possible and how we did that. So I got the opportunity to uh, start a second career, uh, really one that I got to choose. And it was all about helping people create just that, that, that environment where extraordinary things happen and uh, the extraordinary things that you want to have happen. And uh, so now I kind of refer to myself as a recovering engineer 
and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and, and human. And, and I'm just enjoying the coaching of teams and individuals uh, uh, to you know, work better together, be more fulfilled. That's awesome. And, and, you know, I don't want to divert too far from our focus area here today, but you, you touch on a really important aspect in, in my own coaching practice. I've had a chance to work with some of those same oil and gas engineer types and engineers of other ilk, you know, other industries, other uh, specialties and uh, not to pick on them. I love my engineer friends. Okay. <clears throat> but engineers are often tough nuts to crack in terms of changing their mindset for leading teams of people. Because when you start talking about the softer skills of leadership, where you get into the art, not the science of it, um, that's usually a bridge too far for somebody that's predisposed to be a really powerful, effective engineer. And, and Doug, that really is my target audience. It's people who, who are technically minded, you know, from the, from software to finance to, you know, accounting, uh, you know, all the technical industries where people, they got to a level because they were technically, you know, outstanding, but now it's a different skill set that's needed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, dive right in. Let's talk about this idea of finding and creating alignment. I'm, I'm going to just open up a, a mental whiteboard here. Give us a, a, a first, a very high-level flyover of the way you look at the idea of alignment. Right. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, you said earlier alignment. That opens, that's a big whiteboard. And so what I'm going to offer up is, <clears throat> is a, one person's definition of alignment. I, I do have to read it here. Alignment is the unspoken promise of leadership that will create a truth-telling culture where all the voices are heard, that we engage in a co-creative exploration on topics that matter, and that we row together and amplify each other's contribution capabilities. And then that meshes with my definition of leadership, which is the art and science, you mentioned that, of inspiring committed and aligned action to a clear vision and a common clear vision. And that is a lot of the art and science of what leadership is. It's about that alignment part. So when we speak to alignment now, we really speak to uh, a cookbook, if you will, a very practical cookbook on how to create that culture for people to align, you know, to move from, you know, never ending arguments and missed commitments and lost accountability and frustrating meetings to, you know, higher trust, new conversations, uh, that inclusive uh, part, better decisions, better topics to talk about, and you know the coordinated actions. And I'm really liking the term. I I think engaged teams is not a high enough goal. I like the idea of thriving teams that really deliver. Yeah, <clears throat> we were talking in the green room before we kicked off the show. I had a guest a few episodes ago who was a former NFL coach. And in that episode, we talked a lot about alignment uh, in, in the NFL. And apologies to any listeners that aren't big sports fans, but I am, so you're going to have to deal with it. Um, the, you know, the football metaphor is amazing. And, and what this gentleman was telling me is um, – 
for all of his work preparing to become a coach. And, and he went up the ranks. He, he started literally in peewee football in the neighborhood and then got to high school and then college and then finally the NFL. Alignment was the word. And, and in that context, the alignment idea was, yes, there are designated positions on the field. So that has a pretty definitive job description, if you will. But now you got to find the talent to execute in that position. So that's alignment point number one. Then as they develop and perfect their skills in that position, you have to make that position work in harmony with the other 10 slots on the field. And that's how you execute your playbook. And everybody has to be doing their job in unison. Every job's a little different. You know, if you're a lineman, you step one way. If you're on the right side of the line, you step another way. If you're on the left side of the line and all that has to work out. So finding that kind of alignment was the ultimate objective in the coaching profession. If, if I may, let's, let's kind of use that framework a little bit, or maybe not. Tell me if you've got another approach to it to, to kind of help team leaders figure things out. You're, you're triggering me into an old metaphor. I'm liking it. Uh, and, and we used to have it in our team norms. And by the way, we use alignment process. It can be used for, you know, culture change, group decision-making, strategy development. I'm going to do a workshop, you know, next week about developing strategy and, and team norms, team agreements. And uh, one of the team agreements I really like, going back to the fit football metaphor, is it's the responsibility of the passer to make sure that when the receiver gets the ball, that they know what to do with it. You know, it's, it's just, remember we had the metaphor in backyard football, where if it hits your hands, then you should have had it and you should have known what to do. And that kind of breaks down in the world of leadership and, and, and work in that uh, it's really in my world, it's the person who threw the ball that made the request and it goes to the receiver. And once they get it, you know, they, you almost in the, in the leadership world, you walk over and you say, do you know what to do with this? <laughs> do you know where we're going to go with this? You know, when are we going to report back? When are we going to talk? What are the desired outcomes? And that, that creates the alignment so that it begins to feel like everybody knows what everybody's doing. Yeah. Yeah. If I can shift gears just a minute, uh, still same thread of thought here on the alignment idea. I'm going to shift gears to the small business owner. You know, there's a there's a system out there. It's called the Entrepreneur Operating System that has become really popular in small business. It's part of Gino Wickman's Traction book. If you've never heard of it, check out the book Traction. One of the parts of, of creating alignment, according to Wickman, is, is the idea that a small business owner needs to create the job description first. They need to look at their business and say, what are the roles I need on my team? So it's kind of like the football coach, if, if it was true, that going back and recreating the positions on the field. But think about the function of the position first Forget personalities, forget Uncle Bob and Aunt Sally that have come to work for you as a small business owner. You need to think about the function first and define the value that that role is going to add to the greater good of your business. Then you go recruit 
a person that has the skill, talent, and hopefully mental, emotional commitment to the role to join your team. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, I'm relating that to the tools I have around alignment and, you know, what that looks like. And uh, I was kind of launch into that and trying to, you know, weave in your notion of, of getting the right people on the team or, and, and knowing those roles that make an effective team. So I think that's really important. And it's a, um, so I'm just going to launch into the process of alignment and we work with proposals. So if somebody makes a proposal, and typically it's very, very simple. It's the X's and O's on the, on, the, on the field, on the diagram for the play and what each of those roles need to do. And it really just, it can be very, very simple, truly back of a napkin as to who, what, why, when, where of what, it, what are we proposing? And you were kind of addressing the what and who part. You know, did we get the right people in the room or do we know who the stakeholders are? And do we, are these the right people? Are these the right skill sets? And, and that does set you up for success. That is foundational to your point, Doug, I agree. And then we, you know, there's the why part that's like, well, why is this important? What's the context? And, and, and set up a proposal around that. And then the what are we going to do? What is the play? If we stick with the, the, the football metaphor, is this a pass? Is this a, is this a run, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and what is it? And, uh, and then just a little bit of the, the context for it. And we make proposals and, and that's, and then we work through our process to refine and make that proposal better and decide our commitment on the proposal. And it really is the process. One thought that does come to mind, and I'm going to ping back to the slightly larger business environment, you know, perhaps even publicly traded type companies. If, if you're a leader moving around inside one of those companies, often you inherit a pre-existing team. You know, the, 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 the quote, and I use it loosely, alignment of personnel has been matched in terms of this team has been allocated a headcount of 10 or 20 or whatever the magic number might be. Now you're the new manager, poof, you're in charge, you know, go. <laughs> what do you want to do? Yeah. <laughs> and I would argue where I'm going with this is I would argue that it's incumbent on every new leader that moves in like that to spend some time working this alignment idea, checking if they've got alignment for the purpose of the team, the mission that has been created, the vision that the team has maybe formerly been operating under and is that still valid? Does that need to be refreshed? And if so, what does that do to the uh, order of, of members and employees on the team? Yeah, I agree. And yeah, if you're climbing, <laughs> if you want to demonstrate your ability as a leader or as a, as a, you know, a group leader, a manager, what better way than to, you know, quickly align people to a, to a shared goal. You know, that's what people are looking for. And, and not just, you know, those people on your team, your direct reports and those people, it's how did you engage with customers? You know, did the customers become more aligned? Did, did, were you aligned with your boss? Were you aligned with your people? And we speak to that. We speak to uh, upwards alignment. We speak to downwards alignment to your team and even crossways alignment, which is the customers and your other peers. If you're in a big company, you know, the word silo is going to pop up. 
you know, and is it a, a functional silo where each understand what we're doing or do we just not talk because we don't trust each other? And that, you know, that's poison as you know. Right. And I know a lot of the bigger companies have employed the the term value chain and, and you might think of it as whatever the product or service is that's going out the door to the end customer, there is a process to get it from cradle to grave, as some would say. So some companies are calling this the value chain and, and a whole team may be standing in the middle of that cycle. And so understanding their alignment with the greater good of what that value chain is supposed to be about is is part of the challenge and if you're the new leader and you sense any sort of misalignment typically demonstrated by confusion (laughs) um it it, it's a great job to to be able to be the one to bring that clarity and and bring that optimization of the effort so that your team's contribution to the overall value chain is the best it can be yeah, and, and yeah, you, you said the, the key word confusion, confusion and chaos. You know? So it's and, and that that is a great mark of leadership and a leadership team is how can they reduce? I don't know if you're going to eliminate, but how can you reduce confusion and chaos with clarity? You know, roles and responsibilities as well as those handoffs and those and that's in the world of coaching. A lot of times that comes up in the form of requests and promises and agreements. Yeah. What was the agreement for the handoff? And that value chain, that's kind of the in the big company, we call it value chain, right? And what's the handoff from the project team to the operations team? And what's that handoff look like? Uh, what are the conditions of satisfaction between those two groups? And again, when we talk about alignment, we provide that process to provide clarity to that, a clear vision of what the what the goal line looks like. And, and that's, you know, that's important. It's a big deal. I've got a bit of a mantra that I um, talk to my leaders about, and and that is uh, a confused mind says no. (laughs) And if, if you yourself are not clear on directives coming down from above or what, if you're a small business owner, you're not clear on what the market's telling you about your business there needs to be some work done on that clarity. And you could argue that's a kind of alignment to get aligned properly with where you fit in, in that scheme. And as a leader in a a bigger business, being able to then communicate to your team, what mission vision purpose is all about so that they can have the clarity to go about their skill delivery in, in the best way possible. Yeah, Doug, I'd, I'd augment that a bit. Yeah, confused. You said a confused mind is a no, or in the big corporate world, it's a confused mind is a compliant yes. <laughs> it's a fake yes. It's not a real yes. It's not a heck yes. And but no one has the courage to say heck no, so it becomes a you know a half-hearted yes, and you know that is not committed. Um, so what we actually do in the alignment process is we. We provide an opportunity for people to say, are you, remember the old fist of five? Are you a five? Are you a, a zero or a one or a two or a three or whatever it might be? And what would move you to a, to a four? And it's just a, we really use that tool. And it's become exceptionally powerful. Um, you know, there's an underlying aspect that your yes means nothing if you couldn't say no. And 
So if, if you have that opportunity and you have the full range, then that yes really means something. And that level of commitment, you know, rises much higher. That level of accountability rises much higher. And wonderful conversations happen when someone says, you know, I'm not a five, I'm a two. It's a very courageous act to, to do when you, when you do it. And as much as, you know, when you think about it, the courage of saying you're a five, but, but the courageousness of a two, we've had wonderful conversations in teams when someone says, you know, I can't, I'm not all the way on board. Yeah. I like that idea. And I'm reflecting on a few years ago, I, I had an extended engagement with one of the big oils. And, and as we got into it and I was dealing with some of their top of the house leaders, they were kind of categorically lamenting their sense of what they called the frozen middle of the company. It, it was like stuff could come down from headquarters and it would get permeated through a couple of levels. And then it would like hit this, this giant frozen lake. It, it's like you couldn't break through the ice. You couldn't. And as we really did the work kind of digging into what that was about, I came away with, with this summation that I challenged all those leaders to consider. If you've done a good job hiring people, and I know that's a big if, but if you have, and, and everybody has their system for vetting and recruiting and selecting, if you've done that, those people are going to want to do the right thing. They don't show up wanting to do something bad. They want to do the right thing. But back to the confusion point, if you as a leader haven't told them what the right thing is, they're going to do nothing for fear of doing the wrong thing. So you got right, wrong, and nothing in the middle. And so that sense of doing nothing and um, is, is what creates that frozen middle that seems like it's just not going anywhere. <laughs> I've not heard the term frozen middle, but I like it. And, you know, you kind of tie between the two greatest forces in the world, fear and love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fear creates immobilization, frozenness, uh, you know, disenchantment, you know, certainly not thriving and, you know, love. I'll just, I'm using the four letter word. Um, and we, we create that, you know, the other, the, the term we use these days, a lot of times is psychological safety and inclusion. Right. One of the greatest takeaways from the workshop workshop we do is, is our great acronym of SHUVA. Mm -hmm. It's in, which means that, you know, someone is seen, heard, understood, valued, and appreciated. And we build that into our process and, uh, and we let it show up in many, many ways, and both in terms of how you do career development and how you nurture people and how you compliment them, you know, and, 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 and I found it to be, it's now in my bones and it, and I just see it. If you read any article on psychological safety, I guarantee you, you'll see at least a couple of the five words, seen, heard, understood, valued, and appreciated. And, and when people feel that, you know, you mentioned that we hired the very, very best, but even the very, very best may not be aligned if they don't feel seen, heard, and appreciated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're going to start looking for the greener pastures. So, and you can look at those exit surveys in retention world. And, you know, in my experience, a third, you know, almost a half is about, I just don't feel like I'm growing and I'm, and I'm appreciated here. Well, I'll tell you what, Ken, on that note, I think we're going to allow our commercial break to pop in here. And when we come back on the other side, folks, we're going to dive into 
the leader's mindset for allowing or creating alignment and some of the roadblocks that you and I as leaders may struggle with to get there. So hang with us. We'll be right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today I'm talking about a friend and colleague, Ken Roseboom. We, in the first half, we talk about this notion of finding alignment for your team and for your role as a leader in the whatever enterprise you're part of. I think now the next logical question would be, all right, if we kind of have an idea of what alignment ought to be, how do we get there? So, Ken, why don't you just explain the process that you help clients with? Yeah, we, um, I really like leading with alignment because we get results fast. Leadership teams feel, they, they see the light at the end of the tunnel and they, they get traction and they feel a culture developing. And we do that really in three workshops, three or four workshops, uh, very quickly, not that much time. The team is engaged. It's business focused, action action learning. So yeah, the team is working on their content, developing their proposals and deciding if they're aligned or not on them. And the, the proposals come out better than they ever could have imagined before. And, um, and, and we coach people through that, through that we give people support. And then, you know, it is a culture change. So we know that culture change don't just doesn't happen in a workshop. It, it just doesn't work like that. And some reinforcement needs to happen. And so we work on interpersonal alignment, not just, you know, the team alignment and the global, but interpersonal. And this notion of a network of pipes. And you've, you've, you've been in leadership teams and you know that these two people don't get along that well, but you may not recognize how much that brings down the whole team. The whole team's working, you know, against that. So, we provide a tool we call Pipeworks for people to assess. Well, how? what's my ability to align with people? Uh, to align with specific team members, my direct reports, my peers, my boss, uh, my customers. And is that pipe leaky or is that pipe, you know, full and flowing well? Can, can we work together? And, um, and we provide that tool for people to really make that assessment. We notice that when we start measuring that, of course, it starts improving. And it, it really starts working. And then people still get in their own way. <laughs> we know that we're all born with our personality. We're all have our own experiences. And we'll bring in a personality assessment also to help people better understand themselves as well as you know, the people they work with. And uh, as, as you know, for me, that's the Enneagram. There's a lot of them out there, but to me, the Enneagram is a rich, rich, rich tool to do that with. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to talk a little bit more about that, but before we, we do, I want to highlight, um, I'll, I'll rephrase and, and repeat what I think you said there, and it is critical. It's very important, good, good coaching. When we create this alignment at the team level, we, we do have to make various forms of assessment about how's that going to work, 
where are we pre-existing? Where do we want to go? What do we want to be about? What areas do we need to work extra hard on to improve? So forth. And you're right. Inevitably, it leads to the discussion about each individual asking themselves the question, how am I going to show up? Now that I see this definition of the framework we need to be operating in and that everybody has consented to to embrace as our alignment model, how do I show up in all that? And it, we cannot avoid the idea of personality being the first potential roadblock to making all that happen. So to your point, there are a lot of personality assessments out there. I think every good coach worth his salt has one or two of them he can deploy, he, she can deploy. But uh, there is a popular one called the Enneagram. And for those who haven't seen it or heard of it, Ken, why don't you give us the, the high level of how Enneagram uh, comes together? Got it. Yeah. So as we grow up, you know, even as we're born, we come out, you know, every, every mother will say, yeah, he came out that way, you know, <laughs> and, right. Right. and then a set of experiences happen to us as we grow up. We find out how to find love. We find, you know, we maybe, maybe traumatic. There's things that happen to us and we develop a success strategy, in some cases, even a survival strategy for how to get love, how to, how to make our way in the world. And through the lens of the Enneagram, there's nine basic ways that we, we were motivated to, to be successful. And generally those ways have worked for us and we, we can become entranced or become that that's our way. Some people are dominant. Some people are very helper oriented. Some people you know, really work to facilitate and have peace. Other people really want to do it right. Other people want to connect the dots. Some people are the deep feelers. Some people are the risk managers and everybody needs a risk manager on their team. Somebody who is constantly aware of the risk profile out there and they bring that viewpoint that sometimes is in tension with the people that just want to get, get going, you know? But when we understand that, as, it, as the Enneagram brings to light, really shines a light on that, shines a light, what differentiates it is it shines a light on our inner motivation for things that happen. We all share all these aspects, but one of them a little bit more than the others. And uh, along with that inner motivation comes some behaviors, they come some blind spots, some triggers. How do we deal? How do we get our way? How do we deal with conflict? We can begin to put a framework around that. And what I really like about the Enneagram is it doesn't just provide that box to put you in, you know, it says, okay, here I am. I'm an, I'm an introvert, you know, <laughs> something like that. Right, right. But it provides uh, clear ways, you know, centuries old ways to, to move away from that human nature ways that, that help us to become more, more of ourselves and really integrate and, be, you know, discover that greater part of us. I'm a big fan in, in that personality assessment. And I, I want to say quickly for some who might be listening and because I've run into it and I appreciate it and I can respect the question. The question is all this personality stuff sounds like woo woo to me. I, you know, I'm just a nuts and bolts guy. I want to get to the job. I want to figure this out and you know, let's, let's plow forward. And 
what I think is important to think about, you, you do need, if you want to really improve your leadership skill set, you need to think about the difference between what you might have as an internal motive or value structure. And you got to ask the question, how does that show up at work? You know, I may be going out there into the world creating and, and, and exhibiting certain behaviors in my mind, they're right, they're true, they're pure, they're light. But I may not be getting that reaction from the people around me, the people I'm trying to influence. I may be very off-putting for something that's in that mix. So as a leader, I need to do the work to try to, A, figure that out and understand what those disconnects might be, and then B, decide on how can I find an alternate behavior that still doesn't violate my belief and thought and value. And that's uh, part of the magic of effective executive coaching is helping someone make that next step up to create a better behavior pattern that can create effectiveness and influence in the work you're trying to do. Yeah, so certainly. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And it does begin with that inner knowledge, right? right. Of, uh, that this is this is how I operate. And then, you know, we do 360s as well. I like the leadership circle for a 360 tool that people that work with you can tell you uh, tell you how they see you and can you can compare that to how you see yourself. And there's also that notion that, you know, uh, if somebody is, you know, seems to always be in conflict, seems to always, you know, they're, they're struggling with something. Uh, and many times they're, you know, they're, they're whining or maybe even they're blaming, you know. <laughs> so we have something that we call, you know, whine to wow, you know. And so if, if it's always seems to be problems around me, that the common denominator is me. <laughs> so what can I do about that? And I think everybody has some growth in that space and some awareness improvement. And you, and you mentioned reacting. When I'm reacting, it's a quick, I'm going on instinct, I'm going on what's worked before, but perhaps a response, something that has just a little bit of gap of time and, and I can respond in a way uh, to meet people where they're at and respond to them in a way that they're going to hear and, and they'll take action. And I'll just go back to you know my acronym. How can they be seen, understood, valued, and appreciated as a leader? If I can bring that out in them, then the, the commonality begins to happen. Yeah. Yeah. If any of my clients are listening, they uh, they've heard me say before there is a big difference between react and respond. And I use the picture of when you go to the doctor to get medicine, if you react to it, that's bad. You're you're getting worse. If you respond to it, you're returning to good health. And I, I think the react-respond has exactly the same significance in how you show up as a manager and a leader. If, if you're constantly reacting to things, you're probably creating more confusion, more chaos, and, and certainly have the high side potential of alienating some people. But if you're responding to the moment, you can stay true to your mission, true to your purpose, true to your alignment, because if some if, if you're locked in on what that alignment is, you can respond to whatever question, whatever challenge comes your way. 
because you've got a, a very solid, clear lens of how you want to look at things. And with that, you're equipped to be able to respond, not react to, to everything going on around you. Yeah. And Doug, I'll just, you know, one snippet Enneagram is, is beautiful in the sense that it can be wonderfully simple and it can also you know, bring quite a bit of complexity and more and more work around it. And uh, through the lens of the Enneagram, there's kind of three ways that people respond to conflict and things don't, they don't get what they want. Some people, I'm in this category, I'm positive. I'm going to reframe it. <laughs> I'm going to move on. I'm going to look for the, where's the silver lining? Where's, what's, where's the common? What do we have in common here? You know, I'm going to look for that. Other people, when they get into conflict, they're going to run to their competencies. They're going to say, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing it efficiently? Uh, or do we understand the impact? Is it that, are we doing it the right way? And they're going to run to that, but they miss, may miss the emotional aspect. The third way, the people who are emotional realists. And to your point, I want everybody else to be like me. So the emotional realist doesn't know if they trust you, if you're not as upset as, upset as they are. You know, so you can just imagine here's this competency based person saying, well, I, you know, this is just a problem. I don't need to get, you know, you, you don't need to see that much emotion for me. And the emotion based person is saying, no, I really want to see just a little bit of something, you know, please, right. you know, right. and, and the positive based person is there saying, are we sure we really have a problem? You know, <laughs> and, and they're, the other people are saying, yeah, we really have a problem. Don't you get it? So when all those three people can borrow a little bit and understand from each other, the solution comes much quicker the, the, and the resolution becomes more holistic, uh, a little bit better. So the Enneagram provides that lens into understanding yourself as well as understanding others. Um, um, part of me, I'm going to, the thoughts going through my mind, my, my, uh, my content editor is, is switches are going off, but I'm going to say it anyway. One, one of the things that I always find challenging when I go into companies who have invested in some of the classic personality assessments, and I'm not even going to name a name because there's multiple out there, but I'm going to say red, yellow, blue, and green. How about that? Um, 100% of the time in my whole career, the problem I find with companies where they've done the, the broad brush stroke of presenting that, we see people with new, one more label, that, and, and the world does not need more labels, but we see everybody gets a new label, and they may even have stickers on their doorframe or on their name badge or something that, you know, the red, yellow, blue, green thinking and it becomes a divisive tool, not a collaborative tool. And I can also say 100% of the time I've had the, the coaches and the consultants that are presenting this, they will tell you in the workshops, the intent is to allow you to appreciate who those other people are. They'll say that, <laughs> but nobody does it that way. <laughs> And so my point in going on that little mini rant is that when we do the personality work, I think it is important for leaders first to count that as part of their journey of leadership development, creating and, and improving your level of self-awareness on where you sit today is, is one of the first steps in finding a path to upping your game. 
But if you really want to take it one step further, allowing a tool like this to be administered to your team and having an earnest, honest, sometimes one-on-one discussion about encouraging them to take the same journey is, is, is really important for creating the right mindset so that you can get back to the idea of leading alignment and leading achievement of the big vision. Yeah, Doug, six tangents ran through my head just then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this always happens. Yeah, and and I think the one or two I'm going to run with is, yeah, I am certified both individual and team in Enneagram. So we do a team report. So the team can see it there that everybody's primary style shows up as well as several other elements of it and how that shows up in their team dynamic. And then they, and it's, it's a real personal thing that the trust is engaged more. People see each other. And and you're right, Doug, you know, it's a box, you know, this is how you get out of it. You know, and this is, this is someone's style. It's not who they are. And, and the other thought that came to my mind is that these are, they're just models. Think of it as an operating system. My computer here has got an operating system, but I don't, I don't touch that. (laughs) I don't work with that day in and day out. You know, it's just kind of there. And if I do the work, I can move from Ken 3.0 to Ken 4.0. And it kind of happens in the, in the background and offline, if you will. Yeah. 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 I love it. And Ken, I think that's a great place to put a bow on this and uh, call it a day. But uh, thank you, man, for joining in. So tell everybody real quick the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about uh, both the idea of alignment and uh, maybe embarking on an Enneagram journey. Great. Yeah. Ken at thinkingpartners.com. I own the firm Thinking Partners. Um so yeah, kennethinkingpartners.com. Uh, the website is getting a rev up. So you can go see the one we have now. I'd really love to see you, yeah, see you take a look at the one in a couple of months. It's going to be, I'm really excited about that. And um, yeah, drop me a note if you want to be included in my in my email list. Uh, I, I really put some effort into not a lot of emails, but emails that count. Yeah. And so that's right. uh, that's my... Uh, I think that's the best way to engage. I'm also on LinkedIn and fairly active there. Wonderful. Well, Ken, again, thank you for being a guest and really appreciate your insights and uh, commentary here. All right. Thank you, Doug. It's a real pleasure. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful banter. And yeah, it's a shame. Uh, I don't know if I, I've never listened to a four hour podcast, but we could do one. I think so. (laughs) I think we could. Well, uh, on that note, folks, we're going to wrap up and thank you for dropping in and spending some time with us. I want you uh, to know if you're listening on your favorite streaming service that we are available on video over at YouTube. Same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Either type that in or just my name. You'll find the channel. Uh, please hop over, subscribe, leave us a comment, give us a recommendation on thoughts on the show and anything else. I do want to put a plug in to my friends and colleagues over at IBGR Network. That's IBGR.network on the web. That is a global syndication of podcasters, and I've got the privilege of being in their network. And uh, the show appears on Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern on ibgr.network if you can't get us anywhere else uh, try hopping over there and checking that out 
there's a lot of other great shows that are featured there. It's, it's a biz only talk work, uh, talk show network. I'll get that out and, uh, would love to see you over there as well. So for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye. And thank you very much. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Doug. You've been listening to leadership powered by common sense hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.